aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. This is Amanda, and this is the Made for TV Mayhem show. Uh, just to let you know, we've had some Skype issues. We're hoping we can get through this in, uh, straight through now. But I had to transmigrate in my co-hosts, so they yes. might be a little Ouch. fuzzy. Because, you know, that traveling, that transmigration can be really difficult sometimes. So, uh, Dan, did you make it through in one piece? I made it through. Uh, it, was a, it was a little hairy there for a bit. I think um, I think my hair trines migrated beautifully through. Actually, I feel <laughs> I feel better about my hair than I did earlier in the day. So thank you for that. Is it all mullety and uh, quaffish? Oh yes, it looks a lot like the uh, the uh, the sun in Amityville: The Evil Escapes. <laughs> oh it's my goodness! Really, and I've got oh. a really cool like long sleeve striped uh, shirt on, which is really kind of cool. So that's super cool. And Nate, did you transmigrate okay? Uh, yeah. You're not sure? I don't know. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna have to look around a bit. Get your bearings. Yeah, I guess. Get your bearings. I guess we'll I'm find wearing, out when we. I'm wearing oh. pajamas with bats on them that says I sleep in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> then I Nate. have a feeling. I have a feeling you transmigrated just fine. Yay! I think when everybody transmigrates, they end up in bat PJs. I mean, is that kind of the rule of thumb? Unless you, trans- unless you transmigrate with a with a fly, oh, then they have the bat PJs on, <laughs> and you get like a hundred like, eyeballs. I'd like to see that. Oh, <laughs> I would too. Transmigrate means pass uh, of the soul, pass into a different body after death. Yes, that's what that word means. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the key word of one of the two movies we'll be talking about. So tonight is our tribute to Patty Duke, but there's a caveat because uh, none of us had really seen Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. I had not seen past the first half hour, and I'm not sure that Dan and Nate had ever seen it, and I think we didn't realize that she's only in the first half hour. So so um, it wasn't maybe the best pick, but our twofer is a threefer because what we're doing is we're paying tribute to patty duke which is something i've been wanting to do for a while since she passed away earlier this year because i'm a huge fan of her work secondly we're we're taking a look at two of her tv movies that are horror so we're getting ready for halloween so we're looking at amityville for the evil escapes uh, from 1989 and look what happened to rosemary's baby from 1976 and as part of that they just happen to be two TV movies that were sequels to theatricals. So we're covering a lot of bases tonight with this double. So thank you, Patty. I'm sorry you didn't make another TV movie from a theatrical that we could have chosen that you were in more. And I'm sorry it had to be Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) But here we are, and we're going to just zip through everything. I think we should get started. Um, I guess I'm just going to start with some news that if you are on my blog's Facebook page, you've already seen it, so you know it. But I'm really excited to say that I edited a book about TV movies that's coming out in April of 2017. It is called... I always have to get the title because it's so long. I'm never going to get it right. Are You in the House Alone? 
Growing up with Gargoyles, Giant Turtles, Valerie Harper, The Cold War, Stephen King, and Coed Call Girls, a TV movie compendium 1964-1999. This is going to be published by Head Press, which is a British publisher. I'm super excited about it. The truncated title is actually going to be Are You in the House Alone, a TV movie compendium, so you don't have to remember all that stuff. But if you want to remember Valerie Harper and Giant Turtles are in there, that would be great. So like I said, it's due April 6, 2017, but there's actually going to be a special edition coming out in November at a book launch in Melbourne, Australia. So if we have any listeners in Melbourne, get your tickets to Monster Fest. It's happening November 24th to the 27th. I'll be there. I'm going all the way across the world to speak on a panel about TV movies with Kayla Janice, who is a pretty famous uh, film programmer and she also um, wrote House of Psychotic Women and uh, Satanic Panic through her company Spectacular Optical. Lee Gambin who is a, a huge movie guy he's working on a book right now called Very Special Episodes which I'm going to be contributing to where he's taking all the very special episodes of sitcoms from every decade imaginable and um, writing about them. And John Harrison who's a pretty well-known um, freelance writer and his wife uh, Marnine, who is a stunt woman who was actually in some TV movies, including The Spell. So she's going to be talking about doing stunts and acting in TV movies. So I'm really, really excited about that. So that's going to be at Monster Fest, November 24th to 27th in Melbourne, Australia. I hope you can go. Dan is a contributor to the book. He wrote um, reviews of some of the more popular films of the 70s. He got all the big ones like Duel. Um, what was the other big one? Uh, I know you did Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park, Trilogy of Terror. Someone I touched. Uh, someone, uh, the biggest one. Someone I touched, of course. V. Um, it's gonna. It's a half essays, half movie reviews, and it's gonna be amazing. I'm doing the final edits on it right now, and I'm loving everything I'm reading. Everybody did an amazing job. So uh, just keep that in mind, and I'll uh, keep everybody up to date when it gets closer to its actual street date, and you should be able to get it from Amazon when it comes out. So that's my big news. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm I'm really, really excited about it. I'm really excited about going to Australia, and I might be going somewhere else when the book does come out. I'm not sure yet, and I will let everybody know about where and when that is if it happens. Uh, otherwise, I'm in Austin, and I'm going to try to line up a couple things here at Austin. So, you know, I'll let everybody know. I also pulled a TV movie game, which I didn't tell Dan and Nate about, so we're just going to kind of uh, roll into it. So just to give, if you're just listening for the first time, um, the TV movie game is where I come up with a title, or one of us comes up with a title from a TV movie, and we ask the other two people to try to guess what the movie's about. And uh, it usually has is not even close to what the movie is actually <laughs> about. It's a lot of fun. So uh, the movie I picked is called Harvest of Fire. Nate, what do you think that movie's about? It's about a group of six teenagers on their way to a rock concert whose car breaks down by an old farm. And the farm is inhabited by a cult. And the cult ends up stalking these six teenagers and killing them one by one until they get to the last girl who's going to be the sacrifice. But she breaks free and burns the uh, the barn down with everybody in it. And she walks away in slow motion as the barn burns up behind her. (laughs) Now, who's in this? Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see. <sighs> Who should play the girl? That's a tough one. I'm going to go with uh, Char- Charlene Tilton. So good. So you're talking like a late 70s diary yes. of a teenage hitchhiker. It's, it's, it's a precursor to the slasher <laughs> film. Oh, so good. I love the TV movie Proto Slashers. That's awesome. Do you know who the head cult leader should be? Do you have any idea? Ernest Borgnine. Okay, I'm in. 
So, you know, strangely enough, when you were giving your synopsis of the film, I kept picturing John Candy, and the only reason why I'm picturing John Candy, and I don't even know why it came in my head, is that he's in a movie called Last Bride of Salem, which was an ABC Playbreak special, which actually aired in the afternoon with Lois Nettleton and Bradford Dillman, but he's in an uncredited role as one of the cult members. And hmm. when you watch the movie, you'll see a, a group of cult members, and you'll go, hey, that guy looks like John Candy, and it is. So for some reason, when you said cult, I instantly thought of John Candy. But I like Ernest Borgnine because he could be like the deadly blessing Hittite, but a cult leader. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I'm into it. Dan, what is your Harvest of Fire? It's funny. I will just say real quick that every single sentence Nate just spoke was a sentence that I had in my head for, <laughs> for what Harvest of Fire was about. So I'm, I'm scrambling in my mind. But this is going to be, I think, on the planet Neptune, where it gets very, very cold... There are a small group of uh, human settlers who have traveled from the overcrowded Earth far, far into our future. And they've landed on the planet in order to try to make a home there. But the place, it's ice covered. It's frozen. They've got nothing. But there's one man and his wife. And the guy is, let's say it's Lee Marvin returning to TV after not being on TV since M-Squad. Because I just watched some M-Squad. Welcome back, Lee. Sorry. I was going to say Lee Marvin and Lee Grant are the couple. And what 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 is happening is even the, even though the leader of the group, who's played by a very irascible Eddie Albert, is telling them to stop, <laughs> the two Lees have created this sort of uh, dome, and in this dome they are growing fire, and they are hoping to have a harvest <laughs> of fire that will save all the settlers before they all freeze to death. Uh, who, who is, uh, Amanda Weiss, 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 I I think why Amanda Weiss, uh, she's their daughter who's hanging Mm. out with the, uh, kid from the bad side of town. I don't know who that would be. Robbie Benson. How bad is Robbie Benson? He could be bad on Neptune. He could be. Robbie Benson is the bad guy. So basically, basically it's about sort of this intrigue in and around, uh, they're trying to harvest this, this fire that they can spread to everyone. Sort of like, uh, advanced scientific cavemen kind of thing and they're trying to harvest the fire get it to everyone who's on the planet so they can all survive but there are these jerks like eddie albert and possibly martin balsam who are trying to stop them from doing it so they can keep control over this now new tribe this this futuristic tribe by keeping everyone cold and they hoard like the the heat rods that were from the ship and it's about you know trying to uh trying to make it big and survive on a planet and um and you know do do they wasn't that the alternate title make it big and survive on a planet make make it big and survive on a planet so so you know in one way or other it's it's sort of it's it's a it's a futuristic caveman story but with spacemen instead of cavemen trying to bring fire to a civilization that's that's kind of an interesting high concept tv movie like i could the way you ended that sentence or the you ended your synopsis I could actually foresee, not foresee, I could actually envision someone pitching that as a high-concept TV possi- movie. Possibly even being a miniseries if you multiply the characters yeah. and make yeah. sort of the heart fire the center of it, but all the intrigue around it uh, um, uh, add on to it and throw Robert Conrad in the mix. Oh, you know, I'm on Robert Conrad's Facebook 
And oh, nice. um, yeah, well, it's a public page, but he, I think it's oh. him on it. Like you can ask him questions and he'll respond. But he had been missing for a while and off yeah. of Facebook. And he uh, he came on the other day and he's like, where is everybody? And then there was like 300 responses. Hi, Robert. <laughs> And it was all very exciting to see him on there. And I giggled. Um, I'm also on Larry Minetti's Facebook. And I always post things like, Larry Minetti's adorable. And then he likes it. <laughs> That's what I do in my free time. Uh, so I really like both of those. If I had to pick one, though, I kind of like the high concept idea there. Because there's something really weirdly TV movie about that. Although Proto Slashers are always yes. a go-to. I really love, there's, we should do a whole thing on Proto Slashers, and we will, we'll get to it. Let me tell you what it's really about. So I wanted to stay on topic. This is a Patty Duke movie, which was a Hallmark Hall of Fame about a female FBI agent who comes to a distrustful Amish community to investigate a multiple building arson incident. Also starring Lolita Davidovich and James Reed, and it aired April 21st, 1996 on CBS. It doesn't sound that good, does it? That sounds like it could be okay. Do, do you well, have a writer-director? I don't have it on me. It is it is a Hallmark movie, so it's probably better than a lot of other movies that came out in the 90s in terms of, like, mm. story. Um, I will say James Reed's in it, too, and that's definitely, okay. you know, he's from The Initiation. He's the love interest in that. and um, He was in North and South. He's amazing. Lolita Davidovich, I don't know. I like her, but she's not necessarily a TV movie draw for me. But I think Patty yeah. Duke plays an Amish um person in it and I while almost, i was go ahead i almost brought the amish to my my original idea was going to be amish related was it i thought it was gonna be proto slasher related i think you just make stuff it, up no, it was, no yeah i was making stuff up um <laughs> no I, I it was originally going to be something like an amish proto slasher was my thought. oh well that sounds better than all three that, of the ones that we came <laughs> <does>. up with. <laughs> well you know what's funny is i was thinking about amish exploitation. And that's like a thing. And there's not a huge amount of TV movies. And they're probably not exploitation. They're not ex truly exploitation. But the, the Amish really like are a thing that TV movies sometimes concentrate on. And there was just a movie with Neve Campbell that came out a few years ago. Isn't it called An Amish Murder? And then there's that one. Is it called Plain Truth with um, the lady from Law and Order as Mariska Hargitay? And that's an amazing movie. If you've not seen it, Plain Truth is crazy. It's crazy. Everybody has to see it. But it's about an Amish. Like a girl has a baby that's never had sex. It's like Agnes of Gava with the Amish. But then the baby dies. And so this person has to come investigate the, the death of the baby. And they get embroiled in like the Amish community. And it's got this pretty shocking ending. And then there was that movie. Is it Stoning, Stoning in Fulham County? I think that might be an Amish movie as well and i feel like there's one or two more and then there's this harvest of fire so i think amish exploitation is something we should think about for the future maybe a triple feature amish exploitation. maybe a triple feature we'll get our amish exploitation out of there okay so so <laughs> as we discussed uh this is uh our tribute to patty duke uh, she's pretty famous i'm not going to really go into too much about her life although she had a very you should go on her website and read her biography because she had a lot of interesting things happen especially at a very young age she had a really hard life. I think she overcame a lot during her life, and I think the last half of her life was very, very good and fulfilling, but the first half was a real struggle. Unfortunately, she was such a good actress that I think she got exploited by a lot of people who saw uh, this that her success could be their success, and um, she got used a lot in the business. And But she still continually, like even though she dealt with like uh, being bipolar or manic-depressive, I think she was, she still managed to be there like 100%. 
and uh, not always on the game shows. Sometimes when you watch the old uh, game shows with Patty Duke, you can kind of tell she's not really feeling it. And she also gave that famous Emmy speech when she was dating Desi Arnaz Jr. I don't know if anybody's ever watched that. It's on YouTube. And she's completely, like, on another planet. Um, but as far as her acting goes, she was always right there, present and accounted for. And so, you know, she at a very early age, she won an Oscar for The Miracle Worker. And she actually won against Angela Lansbury, uh, Mary Badham, Thelma Ritter, and Shirley Knight. And she, at the time, she was the youngest Oscar winner. Um, I think Anna Paquin has since, like, beat that. And maybe, I guess, um, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, right? Probably beat that as well. Uh, she was also a recording artist in her youth, and she released the single Don't Just Stand There. She dated and married prolific TV movie director Harry Falk. They were married for four years. Uh, she was actually the first actress to win an Emmy for a TV movie, uh, which was My Sweet Charlie. Uh, which was a Levinson and Link movie, if I'm correct. Uh, she basically said she took whatever work came her way, but she actually felt that Curse of the Black Widow was her personal least favorite project, which shocks me because I think that's a great movie. Um, th but that was also a movie she made with Donna Mills. So Donna Mills is also in um, Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. So I thought that was interesting that they made two movies together. She was the second woman to be SAG president, She which she ran, uh, or she I guess she was president from 1985 to 1988. The first woman was someone named Kathleen Nolan, who I recognize, but I'm not sure I could tell you what she's been in. Um, what's, what's really interesting is, um, well, first of all, she... Uh, came after Ed Asner, and so Ed Asner was a real liberal um, president, and in the campaign to whoever ran against Patty Duke called Patty Duke Ed Asner in a skirt, which is kind of funny to me, the image of it. Also, the guy who played it, uh, her, was he her father or her uncle or both on um, the Patty Duke show? William Shallert? Do you know who? I didn't watch the Patty Duke show. <gasps> I haven't I haven't watched it in ages, but I, I'd like. <laughs> well, William Shallert was president before Patty Duke, which I thought was funny because he was on that show with her. And then Dennis Weaver was actually the uh, a SAG president from 1973 to 1975, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I saw that and thought in I'd the, mention it. In the middle of McLeod. Yeah, in the middle of McLeod, right after Duel, he think, went for it. Do you think he he dressed up as McLeod at all the meetings? Oh, that would that get my sick. vote. Yes. That would get my vote. <laughs> um, she was honored with 10 Emmy nominations, and according to her website, she's appeared in more TV movies that have re-aired on Lifetime than any other actor. Now, you may want to talk to Kelly Martin about that, but okay. Um, so, And also, the second thing we're going to be talking about is when movies go to TV. So that wasn't uncommon. So when you think about it, MASH was a movie before it was a TV series. Shaft was a movie before it was a TV series. There was even a TV series based on Stir Crazy, which I only vaguely remember, and, of course, Private Benjamin, and that's just a handful of uh, adaptations. There were also quite a few theatricals that spawned TV movies. I think The Stepford Wives is the one that always comes to mind because they actually had three TV movie sequels, uh, Revenge of the Stepford Wives, Stepford Children, and Stepford Husbands, all of which are pretty enjoyable, although I think The Stepford Children is my favorite of the three. There was also Mrs. Sundance, which was, uh, oh my God, give me the name of that movie. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I'm sorry, I can't believe oh, I told yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't do very well. I feel like Elizabeth Montgomery was in that, and that didn't do so well. So they actually brought Catherine Ross from the movie in to do a second TV movie, which was called Wanted, the Sundance Woman. And then, of course, there was Walking Tall, which became a real American hero, and then Bo Svensson was in the short-lived TV series for that. So, I mean, it's not uncommon to see TV movie sequels to things. Uh, it's interesting that Patty Duke was in two of them because they're not so prevalent that I think a lot of actors ended up in a lot of TV movie sequels. So that's kind of an anomaly. 
So the first film we're going to talk about is Amityville, The Evil Escapes. I don't really have any promos for that. And I don't know why there's no promos online for it because it came out in 1989. And so it's not like it was like a really early entry into the TV movie world. But I do have this to get us all started. Transmigrate. 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 It's my favorite word in the world. <laughs> and I learned awesome. it watching Am Amityville 4. Thank you, Amityville 4. Thank you. Okay, Dan. Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes. <laughs> It begins with a phalanx, is that the proper word, of priests, a gaggle of priests uh, entering the Amityville house one day. And all of them have their, their crosses up and they're all praying and they're all doing their thing. One priest who is played by the guy who played, I, f I forget the character's name, on the, on the X-Files, Darren McGavin was on there as the guy who originally opened the X-Files. And whenever they would flashback to him as a young guy, this oh, was Oh, that's guy. interesting. I didn't know that. was I think Frederick L Len Lean. Yeah, Len yeah. I'm not sure how you say his last name. It's L E H N E. Yes, and, uh, and uh, he enters a room with a very human-looking lamp. If you if you think <laughs> here, if you've ever seen Tales of the Witness Madness, the 1973 1974 anthology film, there's a sequence in that with Joan Collins, where her husband brings home a very human-shaped tree. This looks very much like that. It's a, it's, it's a big lamp, and it's got a big bulb on top, and it's got like two branches and two bulbs out there. And he's driving the evil out, and he's driving the evil out. And the evil leaves sort of the walls where it was, goes up the, the cord, and into the lamp. So now the evil's in the lamp. The priest is knocked out cold. Then they have a garage sale. And a lady <laughs> named... And, a lady named Helen. It's a garage sale for the Amityville house. They're selling all the junk in the house. Uh, and a lady named Helen, much to the chagrin of her friend Rona, uh, buys the lamp. And she's going to ship the lamp from Amityville to uh, Cal uh, California, somewhere in California. I forget the name of the town. It starts with a D, and I think it's fictional. Dan, Dan, it's Dan something, I think. It's and Dan something. Real, real quick, I'm... I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but no. when you were watching the garage sale scene, did anybody else think of Friday the 13th, the TV series? Oh, yeah. No, no, I didn't, actually. But that's, uh, no, that's a, that's a great idea. I, You know what? No. After the scene was over, I did mention out loud, for some reason I thought of Friday the 13th, the, the TV series, because I was watching with my wife, because neither of us had seen this before. And so I did think about it after the scene was over. But, um, but yeah, no, that, that's that, – I wonder if they're all haunted. I mean, a little bit of evil could have gone in each thing, like a, you know, a toaster well, that, it, that's really going to burn your bread. Doesn't it sort of? Because in Amityville 1992, it's a haunted clock, right? Yes, it's a clock. It's about time. So, or, yeah, I yeah. love that movie, by the way. But anyway, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's it's feasible. That's for our feasible. Amityville podcast, yeah. It's completely logical. That it, it could happen. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Anyway, I'm uh, sorry, so I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. So, um, and Helen is sending the lamp, yeah, across to, it's Dancott, Dancott, California, yeah. to her sister house, her sister Alice. Alice is played by uh, the great Jane Wyatt, and she lives yes. in a lovely house, lovely large house on the edge of um edge of a cliff. Near the, you know, beautiful, beautiful house. Um, oh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, Helen cuts her finger. Oh, on the right. lamp, and it becomes infected, and she dies of tetanus several scenes later. 
get a shot. If you're gonna, if you get cut by something, <laughs> I don't care if it's demonic. Just go get a shot. We, I learned well, she, that in Boy Scouts. Please. She waited an awfully long time to like she, have that finger looked at because it looked disgusting. When the delivery guy shows up to pick up the lamp, her her finger is like purple red and like bloated. It's like, no, lady, go go get your shot. Or I wonder if she had got it uh, like severed off, sort of, or cut off. Would it have stopped the the evil? Oh, sort of. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Um, but that's not something so, you ignore. I mean, it no, was disgusting. It, it was pretty disgusting. Yeah, I was surprised at some of the the moments in this film. I thought, wow, they got pretty gross on NBC in in nineteen. They did. They did. And we'll talk about that. But yeah, I agree. Uh, the lamp arrives at uh, Helen's uh, Alice's house, and they're unloading the lamp. And at the same moment that the lamp is being unloaded, Alice's daughter. Nancy, played by Patty Duke, shows up, and she's with her three kids, Amanda, Brian, and Jessica. Amanda is the oldest, kind of, you know, uh, sort of a, you know, a cool gal, sort of the cool version of the the sister from Troll 2. And Brian <laughs> is kind of, Brian is kind of a goofy looking kid. He not quite, he didn't quite look the way I did when I was his age, but he's like 12-ish, 13. He's, he's look, he looks like puberty hasn't quite hit him, but he's almost there kind of thing. And then Jessica is the younger one. She's maybe eight or nine, and she's a little withdrawn. And she has good reason to be. Their father just died, and the family is moving into Grandma's house because um, Patty Duke's character doesn't have sort of a way to make a living, and they don't have any money. So they're there, and they're hanging out, and they're all they all go to their separate rooms, and the lamp is set up. Uh, they meet a parrot named Fred. <laughs> I believe, yes. and everyone gets their own room, and it's going great. Although, although obviously, like I, like I said, uh, Jessica's is very sort of cold. There is there is a and there is a lovely scene where mom and grandma, well, Alice and Nancy, sit down and they have discussion about the dead husband. I know it's been a long time since you've had your house invaded like this, mom. I really didn't know what else to do. Frank's life insurance money was dwindling away on living expenses. This way, I'll have a fighting chance. In a year, I'll have my teaching credentials and enough income to support a mortgage. Well, I hope you got a good rental fee for the house. Enough to cover carrying costs. Amazing, isn't it? The words carrying costs seven months ago were a foreign language to me. 18 years of marital shelter gone in one gasp. Well, it does seem a shame that Frank would leave you in such a state. That's not what I meant. Well, I'm simply pointing out that... I know what you're pointing out. Mom, I came home because I needed help, not criticism. I know how you felt about Frank. But I had 18 incredible years with him. Three wonderful kids. The man dropped dead at 42. Do you think he planned it? Now, don't be rude. I'm sorry, but expecting to live beyond 42 years is neither unreasonable nor immoral. Don't be rude. <laughs> I, I totally I think, just um, insulted your dead husband, but don't be rude to me. Yeah, gra Grandma, we, we can discuss... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll sort of leave the familial relationship stuff for us to discuss after the, the plot okay. of it. Because it, it's, it's, it's actually, I think it's a really, for being a... A haunted house movie the i think it's actually really well drawn and really well done and so what happens is obviously the lamp begins to do some creepy things first off jessica thinks that her dad is in the lamp 
and won't stop talking to the lamp as if it was her dad. Second, uh, Fred the parrot, I believe, ends up in the toaster oven. Am I right in that? Was it the microwave? Yeah. It was a toaster oven. R.I.P. Fred. R.I.P. We love you, Fred. Um, uh, he ends up in the toaster oven. There's a great scene uh, with a garbage disposal, which we can discuss oh, in, a, in a little bit, which best is fantastic. Scene ever. That's fantastic. Best. It even tops, for those of you listening, the boarding house garbage disposal scene, if you can believe that. <laughs> so, uh, and, and basically, and the movie builds and builds, and the lamp begins to exert more force, and the the housekeeper is able to get the lamp up into the attic where they think they'll be safe, but no, you're not safe from the demon in the lamp. It continues to, to exert its pull. And meanwhile, that priest, Father Kibler is now uh, conscious again that he wants to go track down the lamp. He's found out who, who bought it, where it went. He saw Aunt Helen die. Now he wants to go out West and take care of it. And he has a chat uh, with Father Manfred, who's sort of his, I guess, not quite his boss, but but about the house and about what's going on with the lamp. A dozen years ago, evil was simply a concept in my mind. That house in Amityville has changed that concept to reality forever. For 300 years, no one has lived on that ground without tragic consequences. As recently as 1974, a boy murdered his entire family because the voices in the house told him to do it. A dozen years ago, I would have thought that what you saw on that lamp was an hallucination brought on by fear. Now, now I believe that the evil in that house could transmigrate into that lamp. That it can and will transmigrate into another object or another house or another person at the earliest opportunity. Don't be rude. <laughs> transmigrate. Tra- tra- transmigrate. So the, the, priest, <laughs> the priest goes west. And um, in true Amityville fashion, he can't enter the house when Jessica answers the door because she's the only one there. It, it, he can't get in the house. He becomes nauseous. And what ends up happening is he is he eventually chats with Alice. Uh, I'm sorry, with Nancy, because I'm getting my names. Made. Nancy is Patty Duke, ends up chatting with her and saying, you know, saying just what that priest just said to him, you know, that it could transmigrate. And they're like, oh, my God, it's the lamp and it's in Jessica and it's going to be crazy. And everything builds and builds in Amityville style up into a final crazy confrontation in the attic with this malevolent lamp and this little girl who's possessed. And it's it's uh, it's big and crazy. And, um, uh, you know, Jane Wyatt can surprise you sometimes is all I'm going to say. But that, that, that that's my breakdown of Amityville. It, it's a it, it's a excellent uh, haunted house movie i think but uh what do you what do you guys think nate i think first off that this lamp has the longest cord out of any lamp i've ever seen in my life <laughs> because at the end as, as you remember like uh the lamp is holding on to um the priest you know while basically falling out the window and i'm like it, it it's a while before that cord is cut so I, I wonder, like, how long is the cord for for the lamp? Because I'm I'm thinking to myself, it's not very feasible. I'm thinking maybe it was something supernatural, maybe. Maybe the lamp made itself have a longer cord. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it could always maybe. get, like, to a, to a, to a three-prong three outlet or something like that, you know, or something. 
And I have to say, you know, even though um, I, I do love the garbage disposal scene, uh, there's just something about the chainsaw sequence <laughs> that I can just never forget. I mean, the first of all, the 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 kid in that scene, like his facial expressions are awesome during that moment, and it's just him not being able to control this chainsaw, like swinging it around, and. <laughs> You know, you got his grandmother and the housekeeper, and thankfully, uh, the housekeeper steps in with uh, the plan to hold that pipe up to short out <laughs> the chainsaw. I, I take it, you know. So it's it's a shame she didn't make it. You know, I she's mean, a badass. I, she was. It was just, I mean, I was like, why do they have to like? Why do you have to go up to the attic? That was like straight out of Motel Hell. That like where she <laughs> held it. You know I mean? It wasn't a chainsaw battle, but it was like she was ready, right? And it was yeah. just like the way she held it. She was like ah, and it was just awesome. I love her, and she made good soup. Oh yeah, <laughs> that she did. <laughs> she was everything. R.I.P. Peggy. I mean, I loved her character um, in that movie, especially at that moment, because I never knew that I would I would could watch a movie where. Um, you know, a young kid is wielding a chainsaw uncontrollably while, you know, two elderly women are trying to, you know, stop him. <laughs> only in Amityville with some, well, I guess they have to take it out of Amityville, only on TV. Oh, yes. And, and I love crap. how, you know, serious the actors take this movie. I mean, you know, they're, they, they play their roles very seriously, I thought. Mm-hmm. They were definitely I, I, straight-faced. That made yeah, it I, even better. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I, I think, like I said, the uh, the uh, relationships between them, I think, is pretty good because they make it clear early on that Alice, the the grandmother, hasn't had anyone stay with them for a uh, for her for a while, and almost immediately, you know, it's like, oh well, look, there's a dead parrot in the toaster oven, and then this other kid is tearing the basement apart with a chainsaw, and it's like you can see why grandma gets pissed because this, is this the kind of thing the kids up get up to in 1989. Yeah, they, he destroyed that house, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be pissed, too. Yeah. It, Plus, he, was, I, can, he had that hair. He did. He did have that, and I, I like. I like him. I like the. I like the Brian character because he's a. He's a pretty. Apart from the chainsaw thing, he's a pretty level-headed kid. You know, he doesn't. Um, I, I. I. I found it. He. He wasn't an annoying character. None of the kids are annoying. No. No, I they're mean, not. The, Jessica's kind of scary. And, uh, I uh, like her. I like her, but uh, mm. she's very into her role. But I will say, when the kid, when her like the guy that she's interested in, and he and he's helping her around the house, and he puts his hand on the garbage disposal, and then oh, yeah. like she's totally devastated, and then in, like the next day she's like, "I'm going to school." Yeah, she was. And fine. there's no reference yeah. to this kid again. And you're I, like, he lost his hand in the freaking garbage disposal. Yeah, that's and don't they and he's the one who his dad he his character's name is Danny Reed and I forget his father's name but throughout the movie Peggy keeps saying whenever something goes wrong well we'll call in Mr. Reed she keeps saying that over and over again you know it's like a well, parent in the toaster oven we'll call in Mr. Reed uh, well can we back up Mr. a little can we back up a little yeah, because yeah. you remember when Jane Wyatt or is it Wyman I always get it wrong when Jane Wyatt it's burns Wyatt. her hand on the kettle. Mm-hmm. So they have an electric oh. kettle, which is on the stove, which defeats the point of having a kettle, an electric mm-hmm. kettle. And then she said, I'm going to call the repairman for her electric kettle. And so, <laughs> and so we're like, oh, my God, their town has a kettle repairman. 
<laughs> did he go to college and like in his third year of college he decided he was going to major in kettle repairing kettle, kettle repair kettle, and like not only that. not only that two things not only that his son loses his hand and then he comes to the house and he acts like nothing's happened while he's mm-hmm. repairing the kettle yeah, by he, the way which he cannot repair yes, all those years of kettle garbage disposal <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even know how to fix anything. And what's interesting that you right. you just pointed it out with the what was the son's name again? Danny Reed. But you do realize that Alex Rebar plays a character named Reed, first name, really? right? Or is he the dad? Or is he the dad? Oh no, maybe I, Alex Rebar is the dad. Do you know who Alex Rebar is? He's Incredible Melting Man. Yeah, and he also wrote to All a Good Night. All a Good Night, yeah, 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 and Demented. Demented, yeah. And he's yeah. in this movie. But you know what? Now I'm thinking maybe he was the dad, and I'm thinking that the detective was somebody else. Because there's a character in here named Reed, so maybe they just call him by his last mm-hmm. name, the kettle repairman. They, they might, I thought that I thought that was him because they kept referring to, um, yeah, like I said, oh, we'll just call in whoever Reed. He'll fix it. Like chainsaw, he'll fix it. Da da da. He'll fix it. Plumbing, he'll yeah, fix he'll it. fix it. You he'll know? fix it. Emotion, emotional issues with your youngest daughter. We'll call in Reed. He'll fix it. He'll fix it. He's he does good. He does good work. And the plumber. What about the plumber? It's, it's like that poor plumber. Oh, that was my wife's. Uh, that and the garbage disposal scene were like. And and the moment the movie ended, my wife said, "What about the plumber? He's still into the house, yeah." Someone's gonna go into that house, go in the crawl space, and find a sewage covered dead plumber. I, I don't mean to be- cut. Oh, sorry. I don't mean to cut Nate off here, but since we're talking about the garbage disposal. So I saw this movie when it originally aired in 1989 and I never got over the garbage disposal scene. I never got over it. It was to see that on a TV movie was pretty shocking because it's fairly graphic and it's very splattery. But when the guy goes down underneath the house and the pipe bursts and the hand lands on his face, I never realized that it was the kid's hand and I don't know whose hand I thought it was. (laughs) But apparently, Actually, for twenty years, I thought it was just a ghost hand or something, I, or a body that was there, like him. I don't know. But anyway, I, I had an epiphany this last time we watched it. So the blades in the garbage disposal are sort of in the middle of the drain, not at the bottom, because they cut it off, like at his clean. wrist. Clean. Wow. Clean. I don't understand the way demons operate the garbage disposals. And it's always <laughs> demons, isn't it, that operate the garbage disposals like that? Ugh. I think so. They're the worst. They're the worst. Anyway, Nate, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I mean, uh, actually, you know, we've touched upon the, the stuff that I was going to say. I just um, – I also thought to myself, um, you know, spending $100 on a lamp as a gag gift is a little bit excessive. <laughs> I'm like, you could have just gone to the local joke shop and bought her some fake lottery tickets or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm going to send this gag gift. I found a mean vase at this local yard sale. I'm going to send this to my cousin as a gag. You know what? That's postage involved. It's kind of of interesting, though, because when you think about it, if we're going to do some deep digging into Amityville 4, that's kind of an interesting note on the class issues because the daughter is obviously very hard up mm-hmm. and had been hard up her whole life. So when she married her husband, Frank, it, it, they lived a life that was not appropriate for the, it was not in the mother's eyes. It was not an appropriate lifestyle and he mm-hmm. didn't leave her with anything. 
And so when you think about it, I guess the sister, when she spends $100 on a lamp, she's setting up the idea that those two sisters have a lot of money and that it's not an issue for them to spend that kind of money to send garish lamps to each other as a joke. And then we're seeing a woman who all she has is her station wagon. And there's nothing in their station wagon but like a suitcase, right? So, I mean, if you're going to like do a serious academic reading of Amityville, I guess you could say that that's to sort of uh, um, put highlight the class issues within the own, their own family. And I, I really, it it is a haunted house movie, but there is that, and there is the thing about the uh, the little girl Jessica just um, uh, you know wanting her dad so badly that the demon is able to conjure up her dad right. in the lamp. However, it does it, and it's just um, it's just I, I was surprised. Um, for it being a haunted house movie and being technically the fourth film in a series. And if you've seen three, three is just goofballery. That's all it is. It's Tony Roberts, some Meg Ryan, a woman gets burnt alive in a car, a demon hops out of the well in the house. There's a lot of 3D thrown in your face. Meg Ryan. You said Meg Ryan, right? I I was thinking of Candy. Candy Clark is the girl that gets burned in the car, right? Oh, that, that scene I saw when I saw that as a kid, that scene disturbed me. That because uh, she just gets burned so thoroughly in the car, it's just very. Ugh. Uh, but but that you don't expect an Amityville for four to to sort of be there be that much family stuff going on, and it really they really did a nice job writing it and putting it together. I thought I was surprised. I was I was scared. I I was never bored when I watched. The movie. <laughs> you were scared. I got scared sometimes. Sure, why not? Can a grown, can a, can a grown man get scared when a plumber is, sure. is stuck under the in the crossway? <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, feel. Yeah, I, I feel like the one thing that Amityville does better than almost any TV movie I've seen, and that's a very large statement coming from me, is that it has several "oh my god" moments. Mm-hmm. It actually makes you say, "Oh my!" Now I think it's a really outlandish film, but like when that chainsaw goes, you're like, "Oh my god!" And then when that guy's yeah. hand gets stuck in the garbage disposal, "Oh my god!" And then when the bird <laughs> is found in the toaster, those it has genuine OMG moments in it, mm-hmm. and and it's constant throughout the film. Like there's just a bunch of like, "Oh my god!" Like I don't even know how else to to word it, you know. Like and it. it does it consistently through the whole film, which is kind of interesting. Especially at the end when they have the cat that they can't even afford to like put the fake eyes on the cat while it's moving. They have to freeze yeah. the frame and then paint the eyes on. That's an oh yeah, my god yeah, moment. I, <laughs> yeah, I I didn't buy that ending. That was one of those endings, you know, that you see like sometimes in slasher films and stuff where you're like, Really? Come on. You know, like Pepper's a Terra Ten Terra Ten killer when the guy leaps out of the lake. Oh, that's right, yeah nonsense nonsense he's dead i don't buy that for one moment you know so it's just it's just that that bit with the cat getting possessed in the end i thought no you just you're just pulling an 80s uh ending on me we know there'll be another amityville and we know it's not going to be amityville 5 you know attack of the killer demon feline or something like that we know that's not going to happen maybe that's what um strays became oh okay Possibly. I'm just yeah. throwing it out there. Pepper had a baby, and that baby became that really scary-looking cat in Strays. I want to sing a song called Pepper Had a Baby, but I don't know how it goes yet. Maybe later <laughs> in the show. Okay. Think about it. As we were watching the movie, my wife said, Oh, Norman Lloyd, a friend of mine plays tennis with him. Oh, is he still around? He is. And she oh. and I said, is, wouldn't he be very old? Oh, yes. Yep, but he. I forget who... 
the friend was. But, oh, yeah, plays tennis with him. He's a very nice guy. So that's just Aww. a little trivia from my life. So thank you. So, Amanda, I'm sorry. I love Norman Lloyd because Transmigrate. he gave me a word. <laughs> That I'm going to use every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, and I'm sorry, just one more thing as I was laughing at that. One of my favorite lines in the movie is that Jessica, the little girl, and oh, to, to hop around for a second, Amanda, the oldest gal, her her cheeks, bones, aren't they very high? Is it just me? Does it look like, her, are her cheekbones too high? Go back and I watch think the she's, movie. I think she's perfectly lovely. Okay, she I was thought a professional, she was lovely too, She's a professional dancer. And I thought a pretty good actress. And now she's uh, back, went back to dancing. She only did a few movies in the eighties. I like her. Is she is she dancing with um, what's his name uh, from the Pit? Sammy uh, Schneider's. Sammy, oh Sammy my god, Sam- that would be amazing. The Pit's out on Blu-ray in a week or two, folks, or maybe um, it's out. Here it's playing here in two weeks. Oh wow! I'm gonna I'm gonna get we, the Blu-ray. Um, we just got our tickets. Yeah. The uh, well, I thought Amanda had very high cheekbones, but. I don't remember what I was saying before that. It was probably something great. Um, gosh, I forgot. <laughs> I actually had a, I actually had a point I was going to make. About oh, you were saying uh, something house. you liked. Was yeah. it? Was it? Was it this scene? Who did this? Go call the police. Find Peggy. If you say Jessica's responsible for this, I will hit you. <laughs> Is it about that the elder abuse? <laughs> that was it. Because Jessica's room is is the walls are covered in in crayon scribble and and the whole place is torn apart. And the first time I saw it, I was legitimately kind of frightened for a moment because I was like, "What the heck? The the Jessica did this, or did the?" The spirit, and it's just, and that that scene you just heard was the family discovering the house, and basically the grandma comes up and she's like, "Oh my God, another room in my house is ruined by your kids," <laughs> and and Patty Duke just gives her a look and is like, "Oh, I don't even care if Robert Young shows up, I'll punch him too." Come on, Wyatt, and it's it's a great scene. Yeah, there's some hardcore elder abuse. I think somebody <laughs> needs to call the authorities in. I was concerned. I know you were. I know. Nah, well, they get on fine. Yeah, the great thing about uh, Alice Jane Wyatt's character is she, in the end, she kicks ass when she needs to. So she, is, forgive me, she's the one that picks up the lamp and throws it out the window. But she's uh, she's all kinds of horrible. She, she's film. all kinds of horrible <laughs> because I think I no I I can she is horrible, but I can also understand. Like I said earlier, I can understand why she's being horrible. She's just. I, I think she expected the occasional thing to go awry, but not so many things so quickly. And she's just not right. dealing with it, is what it is. She, she's dealing with it very poorly. She kind of reminded me, maybe to a much lesser extent, of Mary Tyler Moore's character in Ordinary People. <laughs> where she seems so like cut off emotionally from her yeah. family. Like Even at the end when Patty Duke you know, says, I love you to her. Like, she kind of looks, you know, kind of like she wants to say I love you, too, but she just doesn't say it. Yeah. Nate, don't be rude. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, Grandma. That's the new one. That's... <laughs> no, I'm sorry, rude. man. I cut you off about seven minutes ago. What were you going to oh, say? Oh, yeah, and I totally remember what I was saying. 
You were going to say how much you liked the movie or didn't like the movie? I do. I love this movie. So like I said, I saw it when it first aired. I was a teenager and uh, I was not prepared for what I was going to see. It's it's one of the gooeyest TV movies ever. I think <laughs> The Stepford Children comes pretty close if you guys have seen that. And that only really happens at the end where it becomes like they put that on TV. It's extra gooey at the end. But um, I think it's a really fun movie. I don't know that I how scary I think it is, but I do think it has a lot of shocking moments in it. And I do like that Patty Duke took that paycheck, but she gave them their money's worth. Like, she was... Everybody in that movie was very... Like uh, Nate had said, they were... They went in 100% with this crazy idea of a lamp. You know, the evil transmigrating into a lamp. And sending it to California and having it, like, take over this house. And they were very much like, okay, let's do this, guys. Let's make a good movie. Like, you you could see that in the film. Like, they were very serious about the characters. And I have to say that Amanda character, the actress, she's really good. Because when in that garbage disposal scene, afterwards, when the mom comes home, I mean, her, she looks devastated. Yeah. You know, like, she, she looks yeah. like a ghost. And it's so well done. And so there's like a, there's a genuineness. It's a really weird mixed bag of things happening in the film. It's this totally outlandish idea. Played very straight face with a lot of stuff that you don't normally see on TV. And somehow it's like a mixed bag. Not mixed bag in terms of the outcome. Because I think in general it's a really entertaining film. But a mixed bag in terms of like. There's like a lot of approaches going on to the film. And somehow they all come together. And and it's one of those movies that I've seen several times and I'll probably see several more. It's just one of those movies I can just sit down and just watch it. There's just always something happening on screen. It's interesting. I like the actors. And I think every time I watch that garbage disposal scene, every time I just get, it's just, I can't, it makes me squirm <laughs> so bad. I love it. I love it. How many TV movies make you do that every time you watch it? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think yeah, it's pretty I'm, successful in what it sets out to do, but I have to admit that it's a pretty outlandish film as well. I, I think if uh, – because I had not well, – as I was watching it, I couldn't remember whether I'd actually seen it before. I thought I had, but then I realized I may have just actually read a very in-depth synopsis of it on a website or something like that because there were bits that I just didn't remember at all. And as I as I watch it, I, I was – if you can get over – the setup of the movie because it is buying the lamp and then shipping it across the country is a bit, why not just keep it on the East coast somewhere? Why not just keep it in the new England tri-state area or something like that? I, uh, but once you, once the lamp gets in the living room and you accept the lamp, I think it, I think it, um, I think it's, it's, it's quite, it's, I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I, I really was. I thought, Ah, it'll probably be okay and have a couple of nice moments, but it actually, it's well written, it's well directed, it's well acted, and it moves where it needs to and gets to the end. And it's like, all right, well done. Nate, except for what that do you damn, think? except for that damn cat. Oh no, yeah, that pepper. the movie's incredible. I will watch it again. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And again, it's much better than Cats. I'm gonna see it again and again and again. And again. <laughs> yeah, and it it's, does... it's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it ignores 3D because I think at the end of 3D, the house explodes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the house is destroyed at the end of 3D. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it, so it, 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 and is it meant to be that it, it, 
when the priests go in the house, is that meant to be like a, a few days after the, I forget the family's name. Uh, the, the, oh, the, the Ronnie DeFeo the, is DeFeo, DeFeo, right? After the DeFeo, uh, after they leave, is that meant to be, is that meant to be them coming in after the family leaves and trying to exercise it? Or is that meant to be, because it looks very 80s. The opening shot of the movie is the shot of the house is very 80s. It has that sort of almost neon diffused light around the house, which is very uh-huh. late 80s. And I, I'm wondering if, if if the movie is meant to be immediately following or it's meant to be several years later, like they're trying again. You know, like we keep going in and it doesn't work. Let's send more priests. Okay. Yeah, the, that's a good question. I don't know where it's supposed to actually like take off from. I mean, I don't know the series that well, but it kind of feels like it's all scrambled after like the second one. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like there's a cohesive like storyline that follows through because like 1992, like he bought, I think he buys the the clock from a yard sale as well right so, so did he buy it from sale? the same yard same yard sale but it's like then, several years then later is, then it is friday the 13th the series then if he's buying it from yeah. the same i'd have to go sale. back and rewatch it because i don't remember the movie that well because i mean it's been like 20 years since i've seen it but i did love it i saw it a bunch of times when it came out uh, and i haven't seen the other movies afterwards to to know anything about like this, yeah. if there's common themes to it or not, I really don't did, know. Did everyone see who edited the movie? Uh, I don't know. Skip, skip school, Nick. Oh, skip school, Nick. I meant to make a note of that, right? He did hide and go shriek, right? He did hide and go shriek. He definitely did. Which I'm waiting on a Blu-ray of. Come on, folks. We got That's the a a mutilator movie. and a blood rage. Can we get? Can we get my hide and go shriek Blu-ray, please? Yeah, I love hide and go shriek. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> All right. So we all it's give a it a slasher, thumbs up. So, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, I give it two thumbs up. Two thumbs, not three or four or six yeah. or twelve or. I give it an extra thumbs up. I'm gonna take that guy's hand that went down the garbage disposal. Oh okay. And I'm gonna take his thumb, and I'm gonna add it to my thumbs. So three thumbs up. I think. I think what made me not have a problem with the lamp is that I kept seeing it as the tree in Tales of Witness Madness. So I almost, I almost saw it as being a living, like since it was made of wood, I think mm-hmm. I almost saw it. I almost saw it as being the, the evil could travel through the cord, but it had to be in something that was alive or once living. I think that's, that's why I had no problem with the <laughs> lamp. Except it was hideous. I mean, it's an ugly lamp, sure, but uh, but I, 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 it's because I, you know, you always read, you know, Amityville, the evil escapes. It's the one with the the de- demonic lamp, and I was watching it, and apart from the moment when the like the um, because you see like when when the evil comes out of the wall into the cord, like the cord goes boop and like boops up, and there's like a little lump in it, and the lump travels along into the lamp. That's goofy, but when it actually hit the lamp. I didn't have a problem with it, I, and I wish I did because then I could laugh along with all the people who have enjoyed laughing. But I gotta, I gotta sit this one out, folks. I like camp. <laughs> That's fine. I, I like camp. I like camp as much as everyone else, but I, I, I didn't have a problem with this. Well, you know that brings up a really good question, though. Like, what is camp? Like, mm-hmm. I think about that all the time because I think when things are unintentionally funny. I don't know that I think of it as camp. I always think of camp as being more self-aware, but I don't know if I have a different definition of camp. 
Because John Waters is camp, right? Yeah, but I don't necessarily. Sixty six is camp. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that like the mutilator is camp. No, no. You know, even though it's got funny moments in it. Do you know what I mean? So I I wouldn't say Amityville is camp, but I but it is outrageous, and it's 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 impossible for me not to watch that movie and not like. I don't know. It's it's a good movie. I don't want to like didn't take away from the film because I really enjoy it and I don't want to and I hate that so bad it's a good thing but I mean it's a crazy film it's crazy it's all over the map and it's like it's one like gooey thing happening to the family after another and it's it's outrageous and that's where I think for me the charm is 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 that it's surprising yeah I, I agree and the lamp I mean I'll be honest there there are moments when you see the lamp up in the attic and it's sitting quietly and then all of a sudden it begins to light up where I was like oh my god the lamp's going to do something so I don't know you know I uh wow. you know I I don't know maybe I'm scared of lamps I don't know what it is maybe, maybe I was maybe <laughs> so I was, is, lamp, I was hit over the head lamp phobia is lamps. common <laughs> I'll look with, that up uh, with the phobia with males who had phobia. mullets Oh my gosh, for males who had mullets for almost a decade. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah, lamphobia yeah. is common. Yeah, so I'd have yeah. that looked at. I think you take lithium or something. You know, I, it's funny how uh, like an evil clock isn't as problematic as an evil lamp. <laughs> Maybe you do have a lamp thing. I really like clocks, so that's interesting. I love clocks. And mm-hmm. I used to work near a clock shop. And I used to love to walk by the clock shop and listen to all the grandfather clocks and look mm-hmm. at them. And so maybe that's why I like 1992 more because I do have a thing oh, about okay. clocks. I do love a good clock. Mm-hmm. Take that as you will. <laughs> but, and maybe maybe something happened with you in a lamp and you've or, you know, blocked it out of your memory because mm-hmm. it was so horrifying. Maybe it did. I'm trying I'm to think saying. of the lamps I've encountered in my childhood. <laughs> there must have been one. Maybe a, a Buddha lamp fell on you or something. So I had a Winnie the Pooh lamp that was shaped like Winnie the Pooh, and you clicked like right above his head or something. But That doesn't sound hmm. scary. No, not at all. Not at all. Hmm. Hmm. Nate, you, are you afraid of lamps? Um, No, not really. They're my friends. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah, I'd have that looked at, Dan, as soon as possible. Okay. So I'm just going to give you a little background on Amityville. It originally aired on May 12, 1989 on NBC. It ran against Dallas and Falcon Crest on CBS. On an ABC, it ran against Mr. Belvedere, Just the Ten of Us, and 2020. Uh, so that's a tough night of TV, to be honest with you. I think I probably watched Mr. Belvedere way more than I should have back then. Um, Sandor Stern wrote, directed, and I believe he produced... Amityville 4, he's Canadian. He also adapted and directed Pin, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Um, and I think it's so funny because they, these feel like completely different films to me, but they came out around the same time, so I think they're pretty interesting. Uh, he actually wrote the screenplay for the original Amityville film, and this Amityville is based loosely on a book by John G. Jones. And I think John G. Jones uh, wrote several Amityville books, if I'm correct. This book is essentially a collection of short stories about different items from the house transmigrating to other places. The book and telefilm uh, really only share the theme because I think it's several stories about different pieces of furniture. So maybe it, I don't know which came first, Friday the 13th, the TV series, or this book. But that would be an interesting idea to, like, look into that. You know what I mean? To see which came first. 
possessed furniture, uh, you know, book or possessed furniture TV series. And we already talked about Alex Rebar. Uh, the little girl uh, was played by Nancy Gold. I believe that's her name. Um, her Brandy Gold, I'm sorry. And her sisters are Tracy and Missy Gold. Tracy Gold, she of the 90s TV movie fame. If you've ever seen Face of Fear and Missy Gold from Benson. So that's oh, yeah. pretty cool. And of course, Growing uh, the, Pains. Yes. Yes. The little boy was played by Aaron Eisenberg, who was actually 20 at the time. Wow. Uh, and he went, he went on to become really yeah, famous. Look. I, I looked him up. He's on a camera name of the show. He's famous. He does horror conven- sci-fi conventions all the time because he plays a really He's famous. He's on Star Trek, wasn't he? Yeah. I he think. was um, Nog. Well, I don't the know Deep who Space that is. Nine, I, don't I think. I, I'm not sure. But I don't I mean, know. I'm, I a, look, I'm a little. Uh, yeah, I'm a little. Yeah, you're right. It's Deep Space Nice. Deep Space mm-hmm. Nice. And so, if you look him up in costume, you'll totally recognize him. And um, he looks great now. He's aged really well. Uh, and like I said about the actress playing Amanda, her name is Zoe Trilling. Uh, although when she made this movie, she was credited as Jerry Betzler, and she's a professional dancer, which I think you can tell by her build. So something else I noticed about this movie everybody's tiny because Jane Wyatt is tiny and she's the biggest woman in the movie. I don't think I realized how tiny Patty Duke was until I saw her next to Jane Wyatt. And I was like, holy cow. And then the Amanda character, the actress playing her, she's even smaller than Patty Duke. Yeah. You know those little Russian dolls where there's like one doll inside the other doll? (laughs) That's what it looked like. Yeah. Yes. I just couldn't get over how short everybody was. They had to hire Aaron Eisenberg because every guy in Hollywood is way too tall for the people in this movie. So um, I was going to say he had a bit of a Peter Bark thing going then. If he was, he did. I thought he. he, I was convinced he was twelve or thirteen. Except he didn't suckle on his mother's breast, and he wasn't completely horrifying to look at. No, no, he was a good kid. But. But it would explain why he looked kind of strange as a 12-year-old. Because he did look odd, right? I thought he and looked because, awkward. But yeah, I guess, he looked yeah. He looked odd to me. Like there was, was not, so there was something not right about him. And first of all, it was the hair. He looked like he'd just seen Lost Boys and really wanted to be Corey Haim. But got something <laughs> wrong along the way. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't, That's, he wasn't hunky enough, yeah. Well, there was something about the haircut that made me think of like he was trying to get a Lost Boys do, but his hair just didn't do it that way. And he just had to grow it out. But it was because he was 20. I mean, he was an adult and he looks kind of like an adult. And that's, and I guess I could see that, but I didn't realize it until I looked up his age. Um, The house is located at 11840 West Telegraph Road in Santa Paula, California. And it is a historical site. It was also the house used in The Unseen. Do you guys remember The Unseen? Yes. Yeah. You know the house they stay in? Same house. So I used to live near Santa Paula, and I remember driving down Telegraph Road, and it's a lot of orchards. And so I Google mapped the house, and if you go on the Made for TV Mayhem Show Facebook page or our Twitter, you can find uh, the image that I took of it. And there's no ocean um, at all. It's just orchard land. And so there's a house and then, like, I guess farmland, basically. And so they added the ocean, which... I guess explains why you never saw the back of the house but twice. And it also explains why the wave sounded so freaking loud in that first sound clip I played. Because they were really going crazy with it to let you know the ocean was there. (laughs) Even though it wasn't. You know what I mean? But it's a really beautiful house. And I don't know that I've actually seen the house in person. But we used to take Telegraph Road all the time. So I have a memory of it. The more I think about the house, 
I, I think that um, I think that I, I don't I don't just looking at it when they first drive up to it. I don't I don't think there's a giant cliff behind that at all. I'm, no, because there convinced. wasn't. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't. yeah and they had a huge basement. It was California. Do they have a lot of basements in California? I know. I know yeah, we don't. We didn't when I lived in L.A. I don't know about other parts of California, but I don't mm-hmm. think so. That's interesting. You know, yeah, I don't think basements are very common. And you know, it's also really interesting because they they show the back of the house, don't they, from the ocean yes. cliff? So they used another house, but I don't know what that second house was. You think it was maybe like a, just a mock-up, like a, or something? Or, I think or that, like I a, think maybe maybe there was just another house on the cliff where the family said you could shoot the back of this today, but don't come back. And then they found a, <laughs> a facade from the front that they could use several more times. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't you oh, by the way, evil. so uh, no, just real quick, just so at the end of the movie, the little boy goes outside to wait for his family, and then the oldest daughter runs out. And he runs to her, and he's jumping up and down, and he's screaming. And it's such a legitimate reaction to what you would do if you found out that the lamp in your house was possessed and taking over your little <laughs> sister. Like, he's so terrified the way he's jumping up and down and hugging his sister. It's so, like, realistic. And, it, you know what I mean? And I always think that's exactly how I would react if I was standing outside waiting for my family, too. And I, I so, think the way there, there's a moment where all the kids are sitting around the table, and Patty Duke is going to go visit the priest and, and, and Amanda and Brian are looking at Jessica, who's just looking down at like her doll. And Amanda just has a look on her face like, ma, what's wrong with her? Or something like that. She says something. It's just like, <laughs> it's just perfectly delivered. It's like, you know, like what the hell is wrong with Jessica? Your sister's been possessed by Satan. I got to go out. <sighs> Don't be rude. Don't be rude. That's that's my answer for everything now. Unfortunately, Don't, I got to be rude because I know. it's about that time. It so is. It's rude. perfect timing. Oh no! Don't be rude. Okay. Well, we know we're getting <laughs> we're getting our five minutes with Nate for look what happened to Rosemary's Baby. Yes, next because time, right? I have seen it, but I want to rewatch it again, and then I will do my five minutes on the next cool. episode. I, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, the more you watch it, the less it's going to make sense. But have fun with that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if it didn't make sense this time, it's because it's not supposed to. Yeah, there's something going on in there, but who knows what. Yeah, but we'll talk to you about that next time. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Nate. Uh, thank y'all. Have fun yeah, have transmigrating night, back, huh? back to Tennessee. What'd you say? I'm sorry. I, oh, I'm sorry. Have fun transmigrating back to Tennessee. Uh, I will. I will get in tune after I get a good lamp. <laughs> Safe travels. <laughs> All right. Bye.
everybody, we're back. It's me and Dan. We are going to talk about Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Friday, a Halloween special starring Paul Lynn. I'm turning myself on. And his special guests, Tim Conway, Florence Henderson, Donnie Marie Osmond, Pinky Tuscadero, and the incredible Kiss. Then, Rosemary's Baby has come of age. For a birthday boy. Satan has come to reclaim his son. No! Due to mature subject matter, parental discretion is advised. Look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby right after Paul Lynn. Friday, starting at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on ABC. Two things I want to say about that promo spot. <laughs> One is that has to be the best night of TV ever. Paul Lynn and look what happened to Rosemary's Baby. That's incredible. Number two, and I think I said that, I feel like I played this TV spot last year when we did the Midnight Hour and then we talked yes, about Halloween stuff did, on yeah. TV. And I mentioned that Roz Kelly, who played Pinky Tuscadero, must have been so pissed off when they, when they credit everybody by the actor's name except her. And they're like, and Pinky Tuscadero. And I'm like, she has a real person name. Yeah, isn't it? I think in the credits for the Paul in Halloween special, it's like, Roz, Pinky Tuscadero, Kelly. And oh, I feel like they just say, I feel like they just say Pinky Tuscadero. I, well, I was thinking of actually the credits, the actual credits. Oh, of the show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you meant oh, no. in this. No, oh, I got it. I got of, it. Okay. It's kind of a little strange, yeah, that they did that because by that time, Pinky was no longer on the show. She was just in the first two episodes. So we can discuss this at another time. But yeah, she was she was not Pinky Tuscadero anymore, although she was on the Blansky's Beauties. Okay, I know but, too much. But she's happy not days. Pinky Tuscadero. I mean, she's yeah. if Florence Henderson is a Mrs. Brady, then she gets mm-hmm. to be Roz Kelly. That's, I'm I'm yeah. Team Roz all the way, so I'm just defending her. No, she's a person. Me. She's a real person. I watch New Year's Evil two or three times a year, not just at New Year's, so I'm with you all I the way. I watch it at New Year's. I love that movie. But that was uh, me trying to deflect watching. us getting into this movie because if there's – out of all the episodes we've done so far, I don't think there's been anything as strange and as convoluted as Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. It's going to be kind of a difficult film to talk about, which is why I left it up to Dan. Go, Dan. Hey, everybody. It's Rosemary's <laughs> Baby, and look what happened to it. I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby in probably about 15 years. So all I know is that at the end of it, Rosemary gives birth to a baby. That's a spoiler. I'm sorry, folks, who haven't seen Rosemary's baby. <laughs> she gives birth to a baby. There's a coven with a, a guy named Roman and a guy and his wife, Minnie. And they're two older folks. Uh, Ruth Gordon plays Minnie. I forget who plays Roman in the movie, uh, Roman Polanski's movie. In this movie, it's the great Ray Moland. Oh, I love and him. Oh, he's so. Uh, I I am a I am a big Ray Milland fan. So he's amazing. This movie be, he is. He, this movie begins eight years after Rosemary's Baby ends, and uh, Rosemary, played by Patty Duke, and her son, uh, who she calls Andrew, but they call Adrian. Yes, just let it let it ride, folks. May I may I just interject one thing before I sure. continue? This movie is broken up into three segments, the Book of Rosemary, the Book of Adrian, and the Book of Andrew. Each one has sort of a thing happened at the end of it. Not, not always quite a twist, but a thing. And I'm going to try not to spoil it myself, so I'm introducing what I call the spoiler voice. And the spoiler voice is going to be voiced this evening by Ms. Amanda Carroll Frederick Reyes. What's your middle name, Amanda? I'm sorry. That's <laughs> fine. Nobody knows my okay. middle name, and they don't. They don't oh my, need to know oh it. Oh my gosh. We're by Ms. 
A. Reyes is going Thank to be you. the the um, the spoiler voice. So basically, when I get to the point at the end of each of the three books where the ending is about to occur, I'm going to stop and say, spoiler voice, what do you have to say? So if you're listening to this and I stop talking and you hear Amanda, then you know that's the spoiler for that segment. You can skip over that. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to spoil it when I'm talking about the next segment, what was in the previous segment. This is very complicated, folks. There's a lot that's going on. We're just, we're just, we're just on the wing here. We're just, we're just doing it. So, so I'm going to anoint, an, anoint, I'm going to announce the spoiler <laughs> place three times. I'm, so Book of Rosemary, the first segment, as I said, Rosemary, eight years later, her and her son, Andrew, they call him Adrian, are still with the coven. And they are, um, they're, they're doing, they're, they're planning some sort of ritual with Andrew slash Adrian. And Rosemary basically takes off. She, she takes off with her son and they hide in a synagogue. And uh, the two the two folks, Roman and Minnie, are trying to sort of Minnie is trying to like I'm trying to track the boy. She's satanically tracking the boy and she can't do it because they're in the synagogue and they're able to escape. And they wind up Rosemary and her son wind up in the desert. John Cassavetes played her husband in the first movie, Guy, uh, George Maharis, Maharis, Maharis. Maharis plays Guy in this movie, and he's a he's a well-off, famous movie star, and he gets a call from Roman saying, Rosemary took off. She's going to call you. Rosemary and Andrew, Adrian, are at a bus stop in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and she gives Guy a call and says, I need you to send me some money. And as she's talking to him, uh, Andrew, Adrian, is having uh, getting in a bit of a plastic hassle with a couple of jerky kids out near the phone booth and he ends up sort of using his sort of powers which are still manifesting slowly to kind of bonk knock the kids on their butts rosemary steps out of the phone booth and there's kind of a brouhaha over what did your kid do to my kid and a hooker with a heart of gold shows up and it's it's tina louise i don't remember her character's name i'm gonna call her tina amanda do you remember her character's name it's marjean dorn Thank you very much. You can call her Gina. <laughs> Gina, okay, I'm gonna call her Gina. Um, and she kind of gets them out of there and like, okay, let me help you out. Let me help you out. And she wants to assist Rosemary and Adrian. And it's it's pretty obvious that that Gina is, Gina Gina is very Margin uh, is part of the cult. It's it's fairly obvious right away. You mean by the so, music that they play when and then like she's praying. Yes, and there. there <laughs> That's your first there, clue. There is a scene where uh, uh, Marjean goes out to check out what's happening with the kids who who Adrian had the plastic hassle with. Sorry, I didn't mean to shake you up. Did you find out what happened? I got till the four ten bus comes in. What happened? Twenty dollars for the greatest hour of your life, and you still catch the five twenty bus unendurable pleasure i have to know indefinitely prolonged please tell me there's a lot of angry people out there look for 50 bucks i can get you out of here there's a bus going north to salt lake goes up alton at six just a couple of miles from here i want to know what happened I need to know. You really want to know? 
He killed them. Both of them. They, they must have done something. Something terrible. He wouldn't. Their necks. He broke their necks. Marjean is what we call in the podcast trade full of baloney and that salt lake salt lake salt lake city bus that, that she's gonna she's gonna uh, kind of hide rosemary and adrian until the bus shows up and then the bus shows up and rose the bus kind of pulls up later that night and rosemary kind of steps towards it and spoiler voice hit us well she gets to the bus stop with her son and the bus pulls up and she runs onto the bus without her kid i don't know why you do that and it turns out the doors just shut and it the bus starts to drive away while Marjean still has Andrew. Patty Duke or Rosemary runs to the front of the bus and nobody is driving it. And then she screams something out and then blah, blah, blah. Thank you, spoiler voice, for your assistance. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the end of the, the book of Rosemary. And then we go to the book of Adrian, which takes place... Um, about 20 years later, so I guess, let me do a calculation. So Rosemary's Baby came out 68-ish, 69, eight years later. We'd put that around 76, so this is 20 years later. So this is around 96, 1996, when this segment is happening. Although and everybody band, looks fabulously 70s. <laughs> super 70s. So uh, uh, Adrian is an adult, and he's got a he's got a friend of his Peter who he hangs out with, and we first see them there. Uh, there, a cop is stopping them for speeding, and apparently he does this a lot. Adrian is is a little um, rambunctious. He lives with uh, his aunt Marjean, who now runs some sort of casino, nightclub, restaurant thing. Thing, yeah. And, and Adrian plays in a band there. What he does in the band there, I've forgotten because we never see them play. Yeah, we never see his band, which is really frustrating. Yeah, and she somewhere in there we get we get mention of that Adrian's parents were killed in an automobile accident, or something like that, killed in a car crash, something like that. And and Adrian has very limited memories of no memory of his dad, the occasional memory of his mom, who looks exactly like Patty Duke. There is we, we get to see Roman and Minnie again who are who are chatting with Marjean because Adrian's birthday is coming up and they've got a big they, they basically want to see if they can manifest his powers on his birthday. And one of the things they mention is that he has to be bloodied in an act of violence and he gets in a, a fight with some bikers and he kind of gets bloodied, I, I guess. I don't remember him getting bloodied in that, but he it's a pretty rough fight and. Uh, his friend Peter shows up and, and kind of helps him out. And, and Adrian's been having weird nightmares and he's been getting violent. And that night, his his, his birthday's the next day. That night, um, Roman and Minnie show up with a bunch of the cult followers sort of in tow. And uh, they're pretending to be Adrian's uncle and aunt. And they act very sweet, uh, but they're pure evil. And now now here's it, it, it big. I've watched it twice, and I began to get a little lost right here. I think what what happens is they don't realize that the the fight he got into was more vi- he Adrian is passing off the fight with the bikers, and Amanda, tell me if I'm wrong on this. He's passing off the fight with the bikers as being nothing happened because he gets in these fights a lot. But he did get sort of bloodied in the fight. And so Roman and Minnie think that he didn't get 
bloodied in the fight. So they call up Guy, his dad, to come and stab him during a ritual. So he gets bloodied violently, so the powers will react. I think that's what's happening. You really would have killed him, wouldn't you? But you, you told me. It was simply a test of faith, Guy. We've lost the battle for Adrian's mind, but we have further use for his body. Pat, we have to mess him up a little. Put him out of commission, so uh, stick the knife in wherever you want, his shoulder, maybe. That's the best answer you're going to get from me, because I don't know. The shoulder, maybe? <laughs> no, she's so good in this movie. She is the highlight. She is really, yeah, yeah, we, we'll discuss that at the end, but yeah, Ruth Gordon is just like, she She is, I forget, I know her character is great in the original Rosemary's Baby, yes. but like I said, I, 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 I didn't have time to rewatch it. So, yeah, basically at the, at the ending, um, they drug Adrian, Guy shows up, Peter thinks something is wrong because he's like, oh my god, famous movie star, Guy, Guy, Guy. Oh, yeah, would you come, Woodhouse, would you, isn't it Woodhouse? Yeah. Yeah, would I, yes. would you come? Would you come watch our band, guy? Guy, and he's like, and Peter is obviously like, "What are you doing here, guy? What's going on?" Kind of thing. And as you heard, well, guy goes back and they want him. What? I mean, are you going to go into? Are you going to go into Peter at all? Uh, I, I. That sounded what, dirty. What? You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> so Peter's okay. Uh, uh, Peter's important because first of all, his name's Peter. He's like, uh, he's a holy yeah. man. He's always in white, and. Adrian is always in black and he's like Adrian's guardian angel. Mm -hmm. And so he's an important character. So I think he kind of knows about guy, but he Mm -hmm. may be in the same situation as Adrian where he knows he's different, but he doesn't necessarily know what his purpose is yet. But I feel like he's like basically Adrian's guardian angel. I would say that. Yes. Yes. I would say just the fact that like when, when the speeding moment in the beginning and the fight with the bikers, like Peter is sort of there to make sure that, that Adrian is okay. I think that's pretty yeah. good. I, I never quite thought of it like that. I, I guess, uh, well, yeah, his name's Peter pretty... Simon, right? And so I think that's supposed to be like oh, a shit. pretty good indicator. Yeah. And yeah. also, also like when he asks guy, will you come see our band? I feel like, Okay, so David Huffman played Peter, and we'll talk about David Huffman a little bit. I love David Huffman, and I think that there's just enough. He's he's good enough at expressing things subtly that, it, mm-hmm. it to me anyway, I felt like he was trying to indicate, although it's like a purely innocent interaction with Guy, mm-hmm. that he knows that something is wrong. Yes, Guy is there right. because something bad is, is about to yeah, occur. Yeah, something's going to happen. Th- no concept of, of what it might be, unfortunately. Right. They and th- there's this ritual, and basically what they do is they paint um, they paint Adrian's face white and put some other accents on it, so he looks kind of like a satanic mime. And uh, <laughs> a little bit. They they, they 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 do their chant over him, trying to sort of bring Satan out, so they can see what what you know powers Adrian has, and. It, it looks like it hasn't gone right because uh, Adrian kind of stumbles out onto the dance floor where everyone's dancing and enjoying the, the hot, hot music that's playing. Now, my, my thing about the spoiler voice might be ruined, folks, because Amanda did talk uh, for a little bit just a moment ago. But I'm going to introduce the spoiler voice for the end of Book of Adrian. Spoiler voice? Oh, well, if I understand what's happening... I think they realize that he's not going to be, I don't know if it's embodiment of Satan or if they're going to draw Satan out of him, but that his flesh 
is going to be important to them. And so basically he instigates some kind of sexual orgy while the band is playing. It's all done, obviously, TV movie style, so everybody's just dancing, but it's very sexual. And I think that they're testing him to see about if he's not going to be the second coming of Satan, he can be the guy who helps transmigrate the well, next coming of Satan. That's my understanding. Did, I, I oh, do you want me to go into what happens to Peter? You can do, yeah, you can do the incidents too. So in the middle of, um, see, we didn't plan this, so I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to like say. And also, I don't understand this movie. But I sprung, uh, sprung this out here, Bob. Yeah, which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. I, I, but I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what happens. So what happens is, so while while Roman and Minnie and the rest of the coven are watching um, this whatever mime dance that uh, Stephen McCaddy plays, Adrian and Andrew, we should mention that he's a great actor. Uh, he's good in the part. It's just a real confused film. And he's doing his dance, and all these people are writhing on the floor, and the band is freaking awesome. And and Guy decides he's going to go outside, or Peter goes outside. One of them goes outside, and the other one follows. And as that's happening, there's a storm brewing outside, and lightning hits one of the power lines, and the power line hits the ground. And um, Guy takes the broken end of the power line with all the electricity coming out of it, and he basically stabs Peter in the stomach with it, electrocuting him and murdering him. And I don't remember what happens after that. Yeah, I think it's you. You see Peter like with his arms outstretched, being electrocuted. Oh, that's right. Like, that's right. He's Adrian got kind of a Jesus, down. Jesus pose, right? And it yes, and it fades out. And you think, as I did, you think, "Wow, that's a powerful ending." No, it's not. Uh, we've got one more segment left. Hello, oh, we got another so, half hour left. So here's here's where it for me it started to hurt a little. Uh, maybe, maybe a little more than a little. The Book of Andrew. So Adrian um, is in a hospital, a uh, mental hospital. He he doesn't quite remember what's going on. There's something about his fingerprints being on the broken power cord uh, that, that kill, oh, used to right. kill P Peter. And uh, a nurse named Ellen, <laughs> played by Donna Mills, shows up. I love Donna Mills. You know what? It does take two people to explain this film. I just want to put that out there. You've, <laughs> oh, done, yes, yes. you've done every synopsis on your own, but... I think it would have been impossible to do with this film. It's <laughs> this, so this insane. Is, it's it's and I'll, I'll I just I want to I'm going to keep talking. So so okay. um so so Ellen Ellen Donna Mills is sort of befriends uh, Adrian slash Andrew and Andrew keeps saying I'm not Adrian I'm Andrew. She says no you're Adrian and Andrew says he's Andrew because he remembers Rosemary calling him Andrew and he tells Ellen all about the cult and they escape together. Yeah. It takes and, her like two, a doctor, a woman who went to school for 10 years and it takes her three seconds to hear that story and be like, I'm going to break you out. Get out of here. Boing, boing, boing. And they're gone. And yeah. guy is called by, um, Roman and, and, um, Mini and told that uh, he's loose and there is the 
and and not only is 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 your your son loose, but but sort of like guy is it becomes terrified because he's like, oh my god, if he figures out you know what I I am, he might come after me, sort of thing. And there's also a thing with Roman and Minnie where they are like, well. You know, uh, Adrian didn't work <laughs> out, and Guy's a jackass. I think. I think doesn't Ruth Gordon call Guy a phoebe? Doesn't she, she say might. what a f- what a phoebe? And it's like if might. they if we 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 just and they basically say it's like we have one more thing Adrian has to do, and then Adrian and Guy can kill each other for all that we care. So they uh, Adrian and Donna Mills Ellen stop at a hotel. Motel is a motel, and she drugs. Um, Andrew, Adrian, and basically, um, you know, I, uh, I hate to use the word, but I would say she, she, she rapes him more or less. She, yeah, when I, when I, when I told my wife the story, she said, oh my God, Donna Mills raped him. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, but she, she rapes him after, um, I'm going to use the term sexually assault because I'm a little more comfortable (laughs) with that, but she does that. After she she's like slowly removing his clothes and she's talking and talking and talking. And I, I meant to save this for the comments, but it was like there there's a scene in I don't know if you folks have ever seen. There's a movie called It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. I've never heard of that. And there's a sequence of that where Donna Reed loses her clothes and she's got a robe on and 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 they're all they've all fallen in the pool and they're standing oh, outside that Donna scene. And 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 there's an old guy on a porch, rocking on a porch, and Jimmy Stewart is kind of leaning into her, and he says something like, "Are you know, are you gonna kiss her or talk her to death?" And and all I could think during this was, you know, are you gonna sexually assault him or talk him <laughs> to death? Because she keeps talking and talking like. Adrian, it's going to be so great when you the the Satan takes over, and it's been two thousand years with Jesus, and we're going to do this. It's like, oh my God, Ellen, just just do your job. He's do drugged. what you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. Do what do you're going to do. Yeah. yeah. Put on so, your black feathers. Yeah. And, and and go for it. And it's like, yeah, it's just like she keeps talking and talking. And this was the point in the film where I began to look at the time remaining. <laughs> God, you made it that again. far? Yeah. <laughs> I I remember some of my favorite films are like Last Slumber Party and Blood Lake and Night of Horror. I can sit during things <laughs> for a long period of time without checking the time. So I can too, um, but I well, well I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not denigrating the power of the Reyes um, movie watching <laughs> right here. I'm just saying, look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby is a special special thing. So uh, what happens? Uh, oh, they they wake up a little later on. Uh, Andrew slash Adrian goes outside. He's uh, looking for looking around for Ellen, and all of a sudden a car shows up, and it c- kind of it's chasing him back and forth through the uh, parking lot, and then uh, it accidentally hits Ellen. And you think, oh my God, Donna Mills has been killed, and the car does some sort of cr- it's like. It hits Ellen and then it immediately like wipes out like it's in a cannonball run. Like Hal Needham is is driving it. It's suddenly like, whoa! And it expl- it doesn't explode. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> nothing explodes. It just wipes out. And cops show up and they're like, What's going on? And and, and Andrew Adrian is like, Oh my God, the, there's gonna be no one in the car. You know, it's it, the car. And here's the thing when the cops show up and ask you what's going on, don't say stuff like, you know, there's there's a demon cult 
who sent this car <laughs> after me and there's no one in the car. Don't do that. Because they open the car and Guy is in there and he's <gasps> dead. And the cops try to grab uh, Andrew and he escapes. And the last we see of Andrew, he's like leaning against the fence. Like That's right. Uh, does he have a flashback to, to Rosemary at that point? I forget, but he's he's not doing okay. well. And I then we remember. get to the very the very end of the movie when we learn what Roman and Minnie were up to. Spoiler voice, hello. They somehow saved Ellen from the... She gets hit by the car. She's clearly gotten hit by the car, and I guess we're supposed to assume she's dead, but she's really at the doctor's office because she's pregnant. And getting ready to have what is hopefully going to be the right coming of Satan instead of this last one with Adrian and Andrew that got totally messed up for some reason. Yeah, yes. And I, I wonder, I'm wondering if they picked Ellen because she was a special, there was something special about her. She was special. Over that, that, yeah, <laughs> She's definitely few, special. Yes. And so th- that's actually the end of the movie right there. And, um, Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about what we thought about the movie, shall we? Sure. Uh, okay. So here's here here's what I thought about it. I thought it was horrible. <laughs> I didn't like it. It does have some amazing visuals in it. The band is amazing. I love the band. The middle segment is pretty interesting because it's the aesthetically speaking, it's very seventies and really cool. The scene, the like or quote unquote orgy scene at the end is amazing. And I have a feeling that if Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby had been made as a straight-up exploitation film where they could have things like nudity and more violence in it, I think it would have been a pretty cool movie. But as it stands, it's really convoluted. I don't think it knows what it's doing from book to book. I think one of the biggest missteps it makes, and it makes a lot of missteps, is that we never really find out what happened to Rosemary. And since it's about Rosemary, really, and her baby, to pass it completely over to Adrian slash Andrew like that, I don't know that that was the right thing to do because I feel like the beginning of the film really establishes Patty Duke's character's extreme desire to keep her son as human as possible and as good as possible and that's compelling and so I read some reviews of this movie and something that they bring up uh, is a lot of um, ideas about dualism that we're all part good and part bad and that that's what he symbolizes but I feel like he needs an anchor and I think that Rosemary throughout the whole film would have been a better way to go I would recommend it only as a curiosity but I think it's a classic TV film, and if you're going to go through the classics, it's probably one that you should view. But it's a very difficult film to follow. I I would say when you watch it, watch the Paul Lind Halloween special before it. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think that, that will ground you in exactly <laughs> where you need ex- to be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what the, um, the, uh, the sort of the zeitgeist of that evening was um my thought when i watched it was i i love i love the 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 sort of they're they're trying to they're oh i don't they're not they're almost trying to do a lot with a movie but in the end it just comes down to she has the baby 
this one didn't work out. Let's do another one. But we don't fully get because of the way it's segmented. And I love I'm a big fan of movies that break themselves into segments where you like you get a segment and then there's a long break and then you have to the viewer has to be the one to try to link the moments in in the breaks up sort of I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. But this one just Patty Duke goes for broke in her segment. Mm-hmm. She's great. And she, she, she really like she's when she's in the synagogue and she's trying to get help and the, and the forces of evil are pushing at the doors and all the, all the gentlemen who are just, they're looking at their Torahs and they're just trying to have a good time. And they just, <laughs> they just, and it's just like, they're looking at this woman and they're like, what are you doing in here? Come on. I'm just, I'm just, Get, get out of here, you know, and, and it's just like, and it's just, and Patty Duke is just going for it. The Book of Rosemary section overall is, I think, is the best of the three sections, and you don't want to put your yeah. best section first, because I sat there watching that section thinking, what is the, the movie going to do? Because it's so high energy out of the gate that I think, how can this sustain itself for over 90 minutes? And the thing, the the answer is, it can't. It's going to seize up when it gets to the end of the first section and then reintroduce us to Adrian and, and, and uh, his Peter and, and uh, more Marjean. And, and it's like, I, I know Stephen McCaddy is a, is a good actor, but he bugged the hell out of me in this movie. I don't know why. He just, he just is, I, I don't know if it's, I think he got maybe a thankless part where he just like, yes. It's like there, there isn't, if you're going to do something where you have, like, Friday 13th Part 2, when you kill the final girl from Friday 13th Part 1 early on, that's a heartbreaker. But then you instantly introduce, is Amy Steele, Ginny, mm-hmm. is that her character? I yeah. Think part you introduce, who you love. So it's like, okay, we lost the first character, Alice, I believe. And, yes. and but But now we have Ginny. This movie doesn't do that because Adrian is kind of like, he's so vague and he's like, what? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? And it's like, I'm in this band, but we're never going to see the band and stuff. And it's like, and, and you watch, I, I watch a book of Rosemary and when the bus is pulling away and Rosemary's in it, you're like, okay, when is Rosemary going to come back? What? She's not. Okay. Um, huh. Okay. So, so wait a minute. Where did she go then? She didn't go to hell because she couldn't have gone to hell because she resisted. And and if they sent Rosemary to hell, I need to have a talk with Anthony Wilson and Sam Osteen, the writer and director of this movie, because Rosemary shouldn't be going there. It's like um what is the uh the bus anthology film Chillers? Uh I from the that. I remember yeah, that, but a, I never saw it. It's it's it is if you're taking a jaunt around the U.S. and picking a movie from each country, uh, each country, each state. Chillers is West Virginia. And it's about a bunch of folks at a bus station who all go to hell in the end. That's... <gasps> spoiler! Spoiler! I should have done the spoiler voice. Where's my spoiler voice? Well, because um, I haven't seen it. So I can't, I can't spoil it. Well, now it's so, been spoiled. So, no, this is the spoiled uh, voice. This is now it's been spoiled. spoiled. But that's sort of what this is like when I saw her getting driven away in the bus. I thought, oh, this is like the end of Chillers, where these people who seem to be very nice are all being driven away 
to hell on a bus. But Rosemary's is nice. I mean, it was Mia Farrow in the first movie. Mia Farrow's sure. a sweetie. Why wouldn't um, you know? Uh, well, and it's, it's just it doesn't make sense. It's that that it goes. It goes to the book of Adrian, and and they try real hard where they do that stuff like he he likes speeding, he likes he he keeps getting stopped for speeding tickets, you know, and that's like oh okay, so that's the um, that's like that would be like my not my grandmother but like my great grandmother's version of what like a, a tough kid did. He speeds. Oh my god, he speeds. You know, it's like it's it it gets so weird, and when they. When when Roman and Minnie show up, here's the point where the movie lo- lost me. When Roman and when Minnie paints him like a mime, and they do they do this this ritual, and then he stumbles out into the dance floor. There is a slightly creepy moment when he has a he has a white mask on the back of his head, and he's got the white face facing the camera, and then he turns around. There's a white mask on the back, and I thought that's pretty good, but the rest of the time it just looks like Marcel Marceau. Yeah, got drunk it does. And, wand- and wandered out to like a French nightclub. And it's like, you know, he- he's like out there bothering Jean-Luc Godard, Godard and Jacques Tati or something like that. You know, it's like, no, Marcel, take off, you know, get get out of here. You know, like Jean Roland wants you to do a vampire film. Go over here. Go over here. You know, and it was just a it's a it's a weird bit. And when Peter gets killed, the sort of religious aspect of it with him with his arms in the air, I was like, oh, OK, I get it. And then it goes on for like 30 seconds. And at the end of the 30 seconds, I was like, I no longer get it. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little confused as to what's happening. And then the Book of Andrews section with Donna Mills, I legitimately found excruciating is not the word I want to use. Because I love the Night of Horror sequence when they're in the camper and they're just driving for like six minutes. But I found the Book of Andrew sequence very tough to watch because... I didn't know where it was going at first, but I didn't care. And then when I knew where it was going and Donna Mills goes into that excruciating speech when she's about to rape him, I was just I was just thinking, just rape him and, and shut up. Just rape him and get it over with. I'm just I'm wow. just and and it was just like I it, it's funny because there are bits of the film that I think work. There are other bits I think don't. And I agree with you. I think if this could have been something that went to the theater, they may have been able to hit some of the bits harder than they could. But at the end of it, I was just like, when you know, when Ellen gives birth to Rosemary's grandbaby, I just kind of shrugged and said, "Okay, I'm good." <sighs> Sorry, everyone. I didn't mean to bring it down there, but that that was that was my. It starts off on a high, and then it went down as it went. So. Yeah, it was, I wouldn't even say it started off on a high. I mean, I feel like it was okay at the beginning and it was okay in the middle, but it was, it was not, it's a clock watcher, you know, it's like, yeah, how much time do I have left? Why? And I think you're right. I think what you said about Stephen McCaddy is correct. I think it was a thankless role. I think he wasn't given much to do. I think David Huffman, who played Peter, got the better, uh, more dimensional character. Or yes. either that or he, maybe he was just better at bringing dimension to the character when he made it. But it, there wasn't anything particularly compelling about him. And then Tina Louise just kind of fades into the background, even though she basically she raised does. him. Yeah. Yeah. And and even George Maharis's character it's not, it's not interesting. 
He's just not... The most interesting people in the movie are Ray Milland and Ruth Gordon. And I'm yes. sure when Ruth Gordon read the script, she saw that her lines were so good. I mean, they they had a lot of fun with her. Uh, a little bit with Ray Milland, not as much. But, like, if the movie had maybe been about them... And speaking of It's a oh, Wonderful Life, you. you know, isn't there, like, two angels talking throughout the movie and they're sort of narrating yes. what's happening? That's kind yeah, of what's happening is, here. Yep. The two yeah, main so, angels, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of interesting that you bring up that film. Also, there's a Donna Mills and a Donna Reed, so we've got two Donnas. That's true. I'm just saying, yeah. the similarities just keep going. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like, it was just a, it's an amalgamation of nothing. Of nothing. And it, it's such a good original film that mm-hmm. it's like, come on, guys. There's so much to work with here. And they just didn't, they couldn't pull it off. I, I watch it twice. I've got it playing actually to my left right now. And it's like, I keep watching and thinking like, it's, sh- it, I want it to work because I really do love when they segment films like this. I really do. I, I really do like that because it gives, it's, it's more challenging to the filmmaker when you say like, okay, this, this segment is ended. Now it's 20 years later. You know, I, lo- I love that it's like within the same film, it's like, oh, that's a challenge. I feel like no one here was up to the challenge, possibly because everyone thought maybe everyone was going to be the, – the viewing public was going to be lulled into such a state of hilarity by the Paul Lynn Halloween special that they wouldn't be paying attention, maybe. maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't I know. Can't you know. Answer. Maybe if they I can't put, answer this question. If, <laughs> if they put Roz, Pinky Tuscadero, Kelly – into this movie, it might have been something a little different. It would have been amazing, is what it would have been. Wow! Yeah, it's yeah, and and I, I will say this: yeah, I'll give Ruth Gordon the um, uh, the uh, the award here. She really just goes for it again and again. It's like she's just she's just she's always having a good time. And I, this is a period where I really like Ray Milland. Oh yeah, you know, he's so like, good. He's and it's funny you forget with Ray Milland that. Um, one of my favorite series of films is from the second half of the 1930s, the Bulldog Drummond films. There were eight of them. John Howard, who's a very dashing gentleman in a mustache, plays Bulldog or, or, or Hugh Drummond through films two through eight. But the first film is Ray Milland as Bulldog Drummond. And this is Ray Milland in 1936, 40 years before this. So it's a lean, suave, good-looking Ray Milland who's like, yes! And he's like, when he, you know, he's, he punches a lot of people and you're like, yes! And it's like, the, the Ray, uh, it's like, I, I really like Ray Milland. I think he's, um, I think he was great. I like David Huffman a lot. Um, he was pretty, pretty popular actor. I guess he's best known for starring in Blood Beach. Uh, but he did mostly television. He's in a really good Trapper John. I just passed that on his credits here. Where I think he plays a guy who's like a post-traumatic stress disorder before that's what they called it. And he died very young. He was murdered, actually, in 1985. And I found out about that years after the fact. He was just this actor that I used to see all the time on television. Um, he was in a really good movie called Jane Doe with um, Karen Valentine. Uh, he's like an actor that I sometimes forget about. And then whenever I see him, I'm always filled with sort of this bittersweetness because I love it when he's in something, but then I'm always sad because he died so young. And I feel like of the actors that aren't Ruth Gordon and Ray Milland, he is the standout here for me. I feel like there's a lot of depth to his character and he's interesting 
And there's always there was always something instantly likable about him in everything he did. I just think he's wonderful, and I think he's a high point of this film. And I wonder maybe if he had played Adrian Andrew, I wonder what kind of film it would have been. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I know yeah, Stephen McCaddy as the killer in Death Valley. Oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I know him as like kind of a very sociopathic, creepy guy. I think he's a great actor, yeah. but that's what I always remember him from. And David Hoffman doesn't really play those characters. He And so it would be interesting because I feel like Adrian Andrew is already like on the verge of becoming a sociopath because he may be Satan's son fully formed at some point. So it might be more interesting to put in somebody like David Huffman, who uh, has a more kind of innocent quality about him. Do you know what I mean? And then see yeah. where it goes. Uh, he might have been better. That's all. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah, Stephen McCaddy. I was never. Um, there was something about him throughout the whole thing that um, he looked. Good. I found a little. He looked good. Uh, there was something about <laughs> that is just just the way he did it that I found a little off putting that I couldn't. I couldn't quite um, in, engage with, especially in the in the final section, the Book of Andrew section, where it's like when Donna Mills shows up. I was literally sitting there going, "Can we wrap it up? Can we get to um?" Yeah, give me the I love give Donna me the Mills, twist. But yeah, hit me with the it, twist. It's it's not her best moments. Yeah. let me let me just go into some of the background because I feel like yes, all we're going to keep saying is this is confused and um. It originally, I think I yeah I I, I agreed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> This originally aired on October 29, 1976 on ABC. It ran against uh, on CBS Badlands, the Martin Sheen movie, as part of their Friday night, well, was their Friday night movie that night. And then on NBC, they played Bob Hope's World of Comedy and Serpico, which I think is hilarious because that's not even, it's two days away from Halloween, guys, and you're playing Bob Hope. I don't know. That was a rough night of TV, I think. So Rosemary's Baby was originally titled Rosemary's Baby 2, and it did air under that title in syndication. And uh, an interesting piece of trivia, allegedly, uh, Patty Duke had been considered for the lead in the original Rosemary's Baby. So it's kind of a full circle here. Uh, director Sam Osteen was the DP of the original film. And he also directed the excellent Queen of the Stardust Ballroom uh, later, I think, which was nominated for a DGA Award and an Emmy nominee. I couldn't believe it was the director, that director made those two films because they're so different. Queen of the Stardust Ballroom is amazing, and I highly recommend it. It was on DVD, um, and I think everybody should see it. Uh, the movie was very loosely based on Son of Rosemary, and when I say very loosely, I mean very loosely. I think really all they kept was the Adrian Andrew name. For the most part, I think they veered pretty far from that story. They say the movie was shot on the Paramount lot, but some of it was shot in a desert, and I'm not real sure where that was. I couldn't find a location. I thought the music was really good, so I wanted to throw a shout-out to the composer, Charles Bernstein. Uh, I thought he did a really, really good job. I opened up with a part of the score, and uh, I'm really charmed by the score. The DP was John Alonzo, who went on to work, who was working currently on several, several theatricals, including The Bad News Bears and Lady Sings the Blues. Wow. And that's my feedback. I mean, not yeah. feedback, but that's my trivia. <laughs> I'm all messed up. This movie has me backwards. It's, we yeah, do have... I, I'm uh, I'm stumbling all over here. Yeah, it's kind of a tough That's, one. We well, do have feedback though about the movie. We we do, and 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 keep in mind, everyone, it is October. It is Halloween. So if there are demons out there, getting into Skype, getting into the uh, Made for TV Mayhem episodes, it's going to happen now. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like the but... Blair Witch guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know oh my god. 
<laughs> Wait, I'm not me... Adrian. I'm Andrew. I'm not David. Oh, I'm so Daniel. Real quickly, one part that I did like about the Donna Mills segment was when he was in the mental facility and he couldn't remember his name. And so he was Andrew with no last name. So she named him Andrew One. And then mm. he, he remembered year one, which is the year that he was supposed to become like the next coming of Satan. Do you oh, remember yes. that? Yeah. And yes, he goes, yes. he goes, Adrian, year one, like this memory he had. And I thought, wow, that was a really good scene. But yeah, overall, oh, we're done talking about it. That's it. Okay. So <laughs> Sorry. let me, let me go to the feedback. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Our friend Shannon, who is on Twitter at Rusting Willpower, which is, oh, of course I spelled it wrong. R-U-S-T-I-N-G. W-I-L-L-P-O-W-R. She wrote, right. so instead, yay, hi Shannon. She wrote, so instead of watching the VP debates, really, why would I invite that headache? I watched the two movies for the next episode. I really like Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Maybe it helped that I don't remember anything about Rosemary's Baby other than what's in the Terror in the Isles. Oh, is that in Terror in the Isles? I forgot. I, I haven't really seen like that the, since HBO in like um, 1983. Yeah, I have it on VHS, I have, but I haven't seen it since the 90s. I really liked the atmosphere in the first segment, and I did find Patty Duke quite compelling, but I couldn't help but find it kind of humorous. Maybe it was supposed to be funny. Ruth Gordon was especially hilarious, yes, which we agree with. In the second segment, I love the part where Adrian's dancing around with the mime makeup. I was distracted with trying to figure out where I knew the actor from. I suspected it might be the James Dean movie, but I didn't even realize until after the movie was over that he's in one of my favorite episodes of The X-Files. There was some really cool music there in there as well. I don't know if I remember him on the X-Files. I really liked huh. the third segment, too, but kept expecting Patty Duke to show up again. Amityville 4 was awesome in every single way, although kind of nerve-wracking. Holy fuck, somebody should have warned me about that old lady's finger. It was all downhill from there. After the chainsaw scene, in which I was sure someone was going to lose a head or get their face sawed open, I convinced myself... Oh, wait, it's a TV movie. They probably won't show anything too graphic. And then the goddamn garbage disposal scene happened. After that, I calmed <laughs> down, but still, I expect nightmares. Oh, well, it was worth it. Good luck with the recording. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. I think she's more on par with you on the Amityville movie. I think so, yeah. I And I did look, uh, um, uh, Stephen McCaddy plays the red-haired man who's uh, an assassin in the, I'm going to get it wrong, the Nice and Seven Thirty One, the two-parter in the sort of middle of the third season of the X Files, and I haven't watched that season in about five years, so I'm at this moment I can't remember exactly what those two parts were, but I know they have to do with the Unit Seven Thirty One, the Japanese um, research thing that they did during World War Two. I I think there's a lot of black oil. In those two episodes. Oh sure, so, okay, I remember that. So, so yeah, so th th those are two great ones. I'm a I'm a huge X Files fan. Uh, RW, you know I I know you are too. So it's 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 a good time. I'll watch them again. I'll watch them again. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, we heard from Kristen Hawes, who you can find on Twitter at Kiki Writes. Um, she wrote, I know this episode is about Patty Duke, but I just have to say that I want to be Ruth Gordon when I grow up. I love that Spitfire <laughs> of a woman. Anyway, I got to watch Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. I've seen the beginning of it before because I remember Patty Duke very well, particularly when she ends up on that bus. Let's face it, Patty Duke was the most memorable part of that movie. She sold being the conflicted mother of a devil child with everything she had, and it's a shame she wasn't in more of the film. Agreed. 
Maybe then her son wouldn't have been subjected to a satanic, satanic ritual that required him to wear my makeup. I haven't seen Amityville, The Evil Escapes, but I'm going to guess that she's probably the best part of that movie, too. Patty Duke is, is typically the best part of everything. That's a fairly accurate statement, Kristen. Yes, um, I would. Yeah, agree. Yeah. She didn't say too much about the movie, except I think what we were feeling in that Patty Duke is the best part of it, and that maybe Patty Duke should have been in the whole thing. When the bus been... pulls away with Patty Duke and it, you think, um, don't leave with the, your best actor here. Don't. Um... Yeah, well, there's no resolution to, and and yes. it's like it's like it's like in some ways it's like when you're watching. So I watched Aliens, Alien, Aliens Two, Alien Three back to back. I'd never seen the movies before, and the fourth Alien was coming out, and my friend was like, "You have to watch these movies; they're so good." So of course the first two are amazing, right? And I haven't seen the director's cut of the third one. I just saw the regular, and I didn't care for it. But in the second one, you get really attached to Michael Bean and the little girl. And then yeah. in the beginning of the third movie, they're dead, right? Yeah. So when you watch those back to back, it's jarring because you've mm -hmm. become so attached to those characters that you can't believe that they just killed them like that. There's like no, there's no closure or anything. And so I feel like they kind of did that with Rosemary here. Do you know what I mean? So you've got this character that you you feel yeah. a lot of stuff for in the first film, and you're really compelled and um, and you're terrified for her. And you care about her. And then in the second film, she's there for 10 minutes and then she's gone. And yeah. that's kind of alienating your viewers right out of the gate. So, yeah, that's... It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's brave, but doesn't work in the end. Yeah, it's, it's not brave in this film. It's just, it's just bad. It's just bad. <laughs> and then uh, Kyle Burles from my blog's Facebook page wrote, Oh God, the evil lamp. I forgot about that movie. So terribly awesome. So I think Kyle in one sentence kind of uh, pretty much summed it up for me. That's the end of this episode. Thank you. Um, I know that there were some kind of issues there with the, with the episode, but we got these two out of the way. I feel like we're probably going to have to do another Patty Duke double feature because I feel like Grave Secrets Legacy of Hilltop Drive needs to be discussed. And yeah. I also think that, that um, the Black Widow movie what's that called curse of the black widow is a really really good movie even though patty duke is yeah. not a fan of it and i think yeah. that that would be a really fun movie for us to discuss so i feel like patty duke will come back i don't know that we did her service in this episode with uh, rosemary's baby but um that's not what we're going to do next we are going to be discussing um we're doing two halloween specials which i'm really excited about we're going to do paul lynn's halloween special which you heard the promo <laughs> for earlier and the halloween that almost wasn't did i get the title right dan yeah, it's got about three different titles. That's one of them. Okay. Yeah, the Halloween that almost wasn't like Dracula saves Halloween or something like that. I forget what. Okay, the... so good. Okay, so I got one thing right tonight. I'm really excited about it. You got you um, got a whole bunch of things. <laughs> so if you want to get in touch with us to talk about either one of those, if or another thing that'd be great. Well, we want to hear feedback about everything, so you don't have to talk about what we're gonna talk about. You can talk about what we've already talked about or if there's a TV movie that you're interested in talking about, you can send us something about it and we can discuss it here. Or if there's just any th actors, uh, themes, anything. We're interested in hearing anything about television movies. So you can visit us on our website, which is tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com. You can find us on Twitter at tvmayhempodcast. We are also on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or you can email us directly at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at my own website, which is madefortvmayhem.com. And I haven't posted a link to it yet on my blog, but I will. 
but if this ha comes out before I get a chance to do it, you should also go over to Kinder Trauma, which I think is just kindertrauma.com, and read the article I wrote with Lance about The Mutilator. Uh, it's yes. our favorite things about the movie. It turned out to be more popular than we had anticipated, and the lead actor, Matt Midler, loved it. And the director wow. uh, emailed me and told me he thought it was magical. And I'm using the exact word he used, wow. which absolutely made my entire week. So wow. we're both super proud of that article. So It's a great uh, article. I, 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 I think I put the first comment on there. I was so I was so thrilled with it when I read it. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, we were filled with a lot of love for the mutilator. So if you're into horror movies, I highly suggest you go and check that out. Dan, where can we find you? hanging out in my back room no i uh i'm on uh some polish american guy reviews things uh i'm uh i've got the uh eventually super train uh podcast will uh we're up to eight, eight episodes now which is which is a lot of fun i've got another one called dan's driving double feature which i hope to put two episodes up in october uh, and if you keep an eye out on Amazon or McFarland Books, I've got a book coming out in this this winter called '80s Action Films on the Cheap," which should be should be a good time. I, I've been rereading some of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is pretty darn good." So I'm waiting for the final edits and proofs to get to me. So uh, I think it will be a good time. But that's where I am, and I'm in Danny Slacks one on Twitter and Daniel Budnick on on Facebook, and it's a ah, there there's where I am. And and I'm on there wondering what um, look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby is about. So feel free to contact. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anybody knows what this movie's about, please contact us because <laughs> we would like very much to hear that. And so what we're gonna do is because we can't get enough of this Rosemary's Baby thing, we're gonna close out with the band uh, playing whatever song they're playing in the middle of the film. <laughs> so good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. <laughs>